Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. When your little mind grasps what I meant, I earn your contempt, yes, it's in your eyes. Listen to the things I say, be afraid, didn't come to compromise. Everybody tells a little lie, sometimes I don't mind if it makes my case. I'm unfazed by the air of my ways When you win, there's no disgrace And I'm righteous, righteous Holding the truth like a torch in my hand today's episode, we're here with one of my favorite people and one of the biggest influences on my musical life and career in terms of what, you know, the music that he pointed me toward during our high school years together. And this, of course, is my co-host, Aaron. And we're talking about his new album, his third release and first full-length album, Diesel and Rhyme, that came out last Friday. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much, Brian. We just heard Righteous, which is one of my favorite tunes on the album um kind of a, a a heavy rock tune that uh contains a lot of the elements that make up your music um there's so much to listen to in your music beautiful melodies interesting rhythms performances by you and everybody else on the record thought-provoking lyrics um at times challenging lyrics um having known you through the years it seems to me that the diversity of your life experiences um, fuel all of that. Most importantly, of course, our experience, your experience playing with me and Larry Mandela in high school. That was the most important, <laughs> yes. The most important, most formative. An, an indelible uh, <laughs> stamp on my uh, creative life. We'll have, to, we'll have to explore our 1994 release at some point. But, uh, uh, but then studying jazz guitar while you were in college at Amherst, classical guitar in Russia, uh, going off to Armenia in the Peace Corps where you became a singer-songwriter. Um, and then since you know your resume was still a little thin, you went on and <laughs> became a neurologist, continued playing and writing, recording a few albums, had a couple daughters. Um, so how do you turn, you know, having some time off from treating stroke patients into this wonderfully complex music? What's, what's that process? And is it always there waiting for you? Well, I, I hope it'll always be there uh, waiting for me. It's, it's been a, um, a consistent thread throughout my kind of, uh, you know, blindly fumbling in the dark path uh, <laughs> of, of, of life. Where it's kind of go, go where the next thing turns me. And That's uh, the title of the episode, Blindly Fumbling. Aaron's <laughs> yeah. Blindly Fumbling Path Through Life. Yeah. Well, as I'm blindly uh, fumbling in the dark, there's this, there's this, 
this is a uh, string I reach out for to kind of guide myself. And I guess that's the uh, music in general, but uh, trying to trying to make songs and um, write about experiences I'm having and always trying to get better at, at songwriting and get better at guitar playing. And to me, that's it's a real center. No matter what else is, is falling apart, I can always go back to that. And I'm always pleased when it... Uh, uh, it gives back what I give to it. I feel very fortunate to to have that as a uh, as a as a consoling friend. And are you conscious of the fact that it sounds to my ear like a, a kind of a melting pot of Eastern European influences and classical influences and jazz and, and acoustic and singer all these all the things that go into it, or is that just kind of you know, what, what comes out without even noticing or thinking about it? Well, I think I'm, um, you know, now that it's all done and I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's in there too. I mean, even, uh, uh, you know, going back to, to high school, to, to our band, Larry Mandelo, there was, there was always an imperative in all those weird jazz funk songs we were writing to like do something that would, that would surprise the listener, something unexpected, a, a rhythmic twist, uh, a sudden change in style, and uh, that um, that particular uh, theme as a songwriter has has never left me. Uh, but I've just kind of accumulated all these other musical experiences along the way, and they find their way in in there. Um, you know, I've just absorbed stuff through being in different places and playing with with people that I like. And uh, it kind of uh, seeps out of me again in, a, in an organic way. When I listen back to the album, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's in there, too. Oh, that guy's in there. And like, oh, wow, I was like clearly trying to emulate that person, <laughs> but not yeah, necessarily yeah. consciously. Yeah. Well, talking about, you know, hoping that it's always there for you and it being a, a constant and guiding force. I loved your um, depiction of that in the song Muse, um, which we can play, but but maybe talk about how you kind of came up with that um, way to handle that topic. Yeah, there, there, although uh, it, it's a, been a reliable uh, solace uh, from, uh, from what's going on in life and, and something that I can always come back to, there, there's always a, a lingering fear that if you, uh, if you stray too far from it, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the muse will go away. Uh, and it'll be hard to, to, to re-engage with that. And so in that song, I um, portrayed the muse as this, uh, as this jilted lover uh, who I, uh, I, I took, for, took for granted and uh, did not you know, give her the time that uh, she deserved. And when I came crawling back, uh, I, had, I had lost her affections. Um, and use that as the, uh, as the kind of character for the, uh, for the song. Giving, personifying songwriting so much that you use the line that, that I loved, she's bearing the love that I spurned. Yeah. Songwriting was actively missing you. That's sort of arrogant. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who are you, sir? <laughs> how, is, how is songwriting going to be okay without me? That's right. <laughs> and I really uh, worry um, about about the craft of songwriting uh, if, I were, if I were to abandon it. I mean, where would during it go? those times that you can't? Yeah, that you can't. <laughs> uh, 
no, I think yeah. that's I think but, that's worthy. I think songwriting would be in trouble without you. Yeah, don't worry, listeners, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> songwriting will be okay. <laughs> I used to sit and listen, let her whisper, pull my mind to and fro. Now her mysticism fills the gaps in between what I know. I'm trading, trading my pen for the soul. I'm fighting for earthly reward. Apology, I called it all a sordid affair Molded our mythology to justify the past that we share I'm craving, craving the fire one more time I'm craving the lie and the rhyme For me to return She's bearing the love that I spurn But she's gonna be gone When you get there Said she's gonna be gone Yeah, she's gonna be gone When you get there Said she's gonna be gone Give me one more chance just to get So for the years that we were together in, in high school and playing music and then the several years after that, you were uh, an instrumental player, um, a guitarist, kind of period. You were a classical guitarist and a jazz guitarist and, and all of these things. And then when you went to Armenia, as I mentioned before, uh, to work with the Peace Corps there, um, you started writing lyrics and singing songs, um, which you've never strayed from. What, you know, you've always been um, very capable of expressing yourself with the guitar in a number of contexts. What was it about, um, what, what was lacking? What made you kind of expand into to words and, and singing? Well, uh, when I started uh, playing guitar and started getting involved in bands in uh, in high school, uh, uh, it was definitely an issue of confidence the uh, the lack of lyric writing and the uh, the lack of of singing. Uh, I was simply too introverted uh, and too ashamed of my own voice to ever put that out. <laughs> in front of a crowd. You had the you were interested in doing that? You had the urge or desire to do that? Yeah, I mean, once you once you understand like the uh I mean as a frustrated teenager who's, you know, non-athletic and not, you know, terribly <laughs> socially adept, like <laughs> you, you get an electric guitar, you join a band. We live, you know, for the listener, we lived in an extremely small town. So when you book a show at like the the local restaurant in town like everybody shows up because there's nothing else to do in town. So I, I thought suddenly, it was because we were good 
<laughs> so so did I. <laughs> so did I. So anyway, you, you, like, as an instrumentalist, like I realized the the power of uh, of of music and the power of performance to suddenly uh, uh, you know to feel to feel good. And I knew that uh, you know certainly uh, singing and singing your own lyrics would be another another level to that. And I was excited about it, but I just I simply lacked the confidence, and so I was more you know first in a rock band kind of writing guitar riffs and then with our with Larry Mandello uh writing these kind of more intricate you know jazz funk songs but feeling much more comfortable um in an instrumental uh band rather than hiding behind notes instead of exposing yourself with words yes I yeah. was not yet into exposing myself at that time. <laughs> Thank I, God. That came later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what, so what was behind, was it simply growing up and gaining confidence or, you know, what kind of uh, helped you flip that switch? You know, so it's actually, it's, a, it's an exceedingly simple answer. Uh, and that answer is Gora Mukhtarian, who is uh, one of my uh, closest friends. And it's someone I met uh, in Armenia on my third day. Uh, that I got there just out of dumb luck. We happened to land in the same town, and Gore uh, is a uh, singer, a songwriter. Uh, was part of a um, a well-known uh, Armenian rock band called La Veli. And at, at the time that I moved there, that that band had broken up, and Gore had set out on a, a solo career. And uh, we met at one of his shows. As I say, like on the third day, I got in the country. I didn't speak any Armenian. Uh, Gordon didn't speak much English, but because I was a, a Russian major in college, we were able to, to share uh, ideas uh, using Russian. And we started hanging out, and he learned that I'd brought this uh, um, this short-scale banjo that my Aunt Wendy... Aunt Wendy, once again, figuring Once again, another pockets. appearance. Yeah. I'd been living with Aunt Wendy before going to uh, the Peace Corps, and she, uh, as a going away present, bought me this like it was almost like toy size banjo. Mm-hmm. She said, "Here's something to you know do in your spare time when you're in Armenia." It ended up being a great idea, but it was it was kind of an embarrassing movie. It was like, "Oh my God, I'd love to have a banjo player with the band," and that made me extremely uncomfortable because I, I did not know how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, "I'll see if I can find someone." He's like, "He's like so." He's like, "So you're a banjo player?" And I was like. I have a banjo. <laughs> you just, but, you're, you're, um, you know, you're always supposed to just say yes and, and then learn how to do it later. <laughs> right. Well, this was, this was one of my first experiences with that particular strategy. Uh, and I was, I was super excited. I, I honestly thought that two years in the Peace Corps would be a, a break from music, but it ended up being one of the richest intervals of my life with, uh, uh, with, with playing music and, and then writing music. Yeah. So what happened is I started hanging out with uh, with Gore and playing guitar and singing, uh, learning his songs. And uh, that whole first summer, I was like, it was the training portion of Peace Corps. We we're all in his towns. So we spent a ton of time together. And then I moved out to the site where I was going to serve in the Peace Corps. But we always kept in touch and would, would get together. And it was that first autumn, uh, he had booked a show uh, in, in the Capitol. And he's like, Hey, do you want to play with me? And I said, Oh yeah, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to play. Uh, what are we, what are we going to play? He said, we're going to play four songs. It'll be two of mine and two of yours. <laughs> uh, two of I your said, banjo tunes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, that's, 
That's great. Um, so he's telling me this like at like the uh, the end of September and the shows at the end of October. Uh, and I said, Gore, I don't I don't have any songs. He said, Yeah, I know, but you will. And that was the end of the conversation. And so basically, uh, instead of like coming up with my own confidence to write a song, I was compelled by an, extre- <laughs> <laughs> an extremely well-intentioned uh, but forceful personality to to write my first song, uh, which was a, a tune called Tennessee Girlfriend uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that, uh, that was I was tangentially a- involved in. You were, you were. This was uh, a song. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. It 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 uh, chronicles a a trip. <laughs> this was this was uh, New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, yeah. We, uh, myself and two friends, uh, drove from Boston, Massachusetts, to Austin, Texas, uh, and we we give ourselves like like two and a half days to do it, <laughs> but. <laughs> The whole trip was was built around this concept that we were going to stop uh, and get Tennessee girlfriends along the way and take them to Texas with us. We were going to somehow, given extreme limitations of time and like <laughs> not being extremely charming or <laughs> right. And <laughs> uh, I was in Nashville so. and not not well equipped to help find you girlfriends either. <laughs> yes, just, yeah, we, we we were counting on you to facilitate that. We, <laughs> we we stopped in Knoxville, Nashville. And Memphis, and, and struck out in all in all places. Uh, Strikes I mean, one, was... two, and three. Good effort. <laughs> Good effort. I don't know why nobody wanted to join three smelly guys in a car who were driving nonstop to, to Texas. And is that um, you? And then I I think that I loaned you an acoustic guitar before you had spent much time playing an acoustic guitar that you that you then took with oh, you and kept that, for a while. Right? Is my remembering that right? I think that's right. That's right. I'd forgotten that element of it. Uh, the same had... guitar with which Aaron, my wife, started playing on <laughs> later, pertinent wow. to last episode's story. Well, I think I wonder where that should... guitar is. I don't know. I think we should re- rethink how how jocular I was about your influence, Brian. I think I think you, I you set a couple careers afire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, uh, anyway, I, we, I wrote we, we I wrote that song. I, I wrote uh, Tennessee Girlfriend and another song called uh, Pomegranate. Uh, and, uh, we performed those, uh, in Yerevan in October of, uh, 2000. And that, those are the first songs I ever wrote and performed that I, that I sung. I see days in eggnog is what it would have been mm-hmm. Did you not send my old friend Words you were flying in It thus began I've got a plan A short and simple My hell crept across my face Cause this is what you wrote We'll be heading south for Austin and There's a worn-out century ends We'll take a little time in Nashville 
get ourselves some Tennessee girlfriends. We left at dusk and drove on. Once that ice was broken, I was kind of hooked. Hmm. Um, and I was really excited uh, to, to do more of it. And I was really fueled by the fact that I had uh, this um, kind of partner, coach, uh, enthusiast, and sounding board uh, uh, in Gore, uh, who, was, who was always excited to hear what the next thing was, uh, was not afraid to be critical when it wasn't good. Uh, and sometimes would, uh, would, would complete an idea and say, I think you really want to do this. And he just had a, a knack for melody that, uh, I had not developed at, at that time. Um, but I was good with, I was good with harmony. I was good with chords. And, uh, so I think we were, we were a good pairing for, for one another. Cause I, I could do things with his songs that would kind of reharmonize it, make it interesting. And he just had this, this kind of McCartney-esque sense of melody, uh, where it just always seemed to sit right uh, on the on the lyric, and I, I learned a ton just sitting uh, sitting in his in his house, just just strumming songs and and playing and learning, and that that really changed it all in a moment. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know. Typically, with singer songwriters, they're you know singers and songwriters first, instrumentalists second you know, and kind of, um, you know, accompany themselves adequately. <clears throat> but I've always enjoyed about your music that you're, you know, so developed as a guitarist that there's always, you know, something amazing and interesting to listen to right along, you know, side by side with the lyric, which I think has always been an enjoyable and unique aspect of your music. Thank um, you. I, I, I still feel like a guitar player who sings songs as opposed to the yeah. <laughs> a songwriter who has some, yeah, right. has some guitar know-how. Um, and so there's, a, there's, there's, there's a lingering imposter syndrome. <laughs> well, and you've continued to play with Gore, uh, all, all over the place. I've had the privilege of playing with you guys in, in Boston and Nashville and, and play, you play guitar and banjo and different things with him, um, and have done some songwriting with him, some, sometimes translations and, and, uh, and, and there's some involvement on this album on one song. That's right. Um, there's a tune called Ambergris on the new album that uh, is uh, is essentially a song uh, by Gore um, that was called Hallucinogen, uh, and like a lot of Gore songs, uh, it's it's in a it's in a broken meter, uh, and it's got it's got uh, some interesting changes, and then of course like a melody that's you know to die for. So I've always loved that song, and I'd I'd spent time. Uh, doing uh, English translations of Gore's song and then trying to really make them still sound poetic and have the, the meter and the rhyme fit while maintaining the, uh, uh, the meaning and the theme of the song. Uh, but this time I really just wanted to, to take, take the music that I, that I loved and set my own text to it. So I, I kind of uh, came up with my, my whole, my own um, text for, uh, for Ambergris, which is, a song about someone grappling with, uh, with, with dementia and trying to, trying to find connection with people and trying to find meaning as, uh, as the, as the memories fade and the ability to make associations, uh, fades, but it's a kind of a, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, um, uh, mirroring of, uh, 
what happened with one of my tunes from that first batch of albums that I haven't released. This, this so I, I ended up recording um, uh, "Tennessee Girlfriend" and "Pomegranate" and four other songs when I was still living in Armenia uh, at this radio yeah, that, studio. That certain luck, certain uh, certain of us lucky listeners um, had on, on a few CDs uh, that we that were just you know burned. Yeah, and, and known to us as the Yerevan sessions. <laughs> yes, the Yerevan sessions. <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful collection of songs. I love that album. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great time capsule of of kind of like a a budding a budding songwriter trying to to, to figure it out. There's 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 much that uh, um, you know I find kind of immature in terms of uh, my songwriting and my performance, but there's also some heart there that's uh, you yeah. know also hard to to replicate. But one of the songs on in that six song set is a song called tank top philosopher, mm-hmm. um, which is, um, a tune, uh, that, uh, I wrote, uh, and like, there was like one, one part I couldn't finish and Gore helped me with it. And then like, I really thought it was one of the, 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 the best songs I had written while I was living in Armenia and Gore liked it so much that he wrote his own text to it, hmm. uh, that had nothing to do with my text and put it on his, uh, uh, second album on Godfather Tom, uh, and so it's the uh, it's translated as uh, the the song of the genius. But it's essentially the same the same recording. It's it's my guitar playing with just him singing the lyrics over it in Armenian. Right for a sign, shining light for two blind, cold empty eyes, my song for to find. In a broken sea of concrete, there's a thousand broken dreams, and midnight jams in tin cans by the river, and philosophers in tank tops down by the latrine, singing requiems in voices all a quiver. So now, 20 years later, I've kind of done the same thing 
with uh, with one of Gore's songs, and you know done my own musical setting based upon upon his melody and his chord structure, and then wrote my own text to it. And I was extremely nervous because uh, you know Gore is such an important influence for me. Like playing it for him was like a, a really made me nervous and self conscious. And I was relieved when he was. Uh, you know, extremely enthusiastic about it. And he felt that it was really a, a new song uh, at this point, hmm. even though it was based on his work. And that, that to me is the, uh, is the only affirmation I require. I representation i guess musical representation of your relationship with him over the years yeah yeah it's it's uh it's uh, an honoring of one another's uh um uh, kind of musical selves uh that uh, i think i think we both uh, uh grow closer as a result of it so moving moving on from that bromance um <laughs> i want i want to talk about a, a trio of love songs on the album uh one each for your two daughters and another for a large man named Dwayne. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I love how in each of these songs, um, you obviously lyrically, you know, capture them and, uh, but also musically, it seems like you've very intentionally kind of, um, you know, musically captured these, these three people. And, uh, and certainly we want to hear more about the, the character of Dwayne. Yeah. Uh, well, Dwayne, uh, you met back in the day. Dwayne was a neighbor, uh, in, uh, in the Hamlet of Hartwick, New York. I don't know. I don't remember how, uh, <laughs> he and my dad met. I don't know what the context was at all, but he, he quickly became a part of our lives and he's, he is big in all respects. He's physically large. <laughs> His personality is large. His laugh is enormous. And it's like everything about him, uh, just, just seemed, uh, to be, outsized in a, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a perfect way. Uh, and he was a, uh, a mechanic, uh, and he was also involved in tractor pulling, uh, which is, uh, a sport where a kind of modified, uh, tractor with huge back tires, little, little front tires is just loaded with a bunch of engines. And the competition is to haul this big sledge as far as he can through like this dirt, <laughs> dirt run. Yeah. Um, and Dwayne, uh, was, uh, was quite good. I think he was number one in New York state. I don't remember how he ranked nationally, but, uh, that was a side gig of his in addition to, uh, to fixing tractors and. Yeah. In, in researching for this, I came across his obituary. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was quite prominent in the tractor pulling world. Yeah, he was, he was a big figure and, and my, my dad was, uh, such a, um, a believer in Dwayne's skills as a mechanic and as a, as a, a tractor driver that he, <laughs> he at one point invested a good portion of the money that he had saved for college for my brother and me <laughs> <laughs> and put it into Dwayne's pulling tractor, uh, uh, wow. and which, uh, which, which led to a very touching on like a, the, um, uh, on the, one of the back wheels on like kind of the, the, the mud cover. Uh, there was a, a thanks to Webb and Helen, who were my my parents, which was always a, a, a proud a proud moment in tractor pulling for, for so like Budweiser and Webb and Helen, <laughs> right? Exactly. It was all the literally. big ones. Then the, the literally, he was sponsors. he had a Bud sponsorship. He did, yeah, he had an um, Anheuser Busch, um, yeah, pulling tractor, yeah. And and he was in like to I think I think it's worth pointing out for the <clears throat> richness of the story. He was like an op. This is an opposite sort of tra- a track kind of situation. Your your father's, you know, not physically large, for example, not a tractor puller. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It, it is. It, it's a study in juxtaposition. Um, my my dad is a, of short stature. He is <laughs> soft spoken. Uh, he works with uh, my dad. My dad was a uh, was a surgeon. He worked with you know very uh, you know very uh, fine movements. Dwayne worked with very big things. Uh, Dwayne was boisterous and, and loud and a storyteller. My dad was quiet and, but they had a, uh, a friendship, uh, that was, that was quite unique. Um, and, uh, spent a lot of time together. And for some reason that, that their two personalities meshed very well. And when he, uh, passed away quite, uh, prematurely, um, I, I, I was struck by what, what a loss it was for, for my father and um, got to thinking about Dwayne, what an uh, important person he was for our family and always always ready to help, always ready to tell a crazy story. 
um, make everybody feel better. And uh, I, I felt compelled to, to capture him in some way. And uh, so in a lot of ways, it's a song I wrote for my dad about, about his best friend. I guess I'm in the cow corn motor revving It's how my car came to rest Twilight casts a veil on the landscape Desolation setting in Headlights slamming on the tailgate Salvation in the wind Silhouette of a Viking warrior Rising out of the dark His beard shaking with the joyous forces That's a dentist's place to park Hey Twain, it ain't half bad To be the one that you barely left at Stain but damn is just a grease in the creases of the working hand. Hate when profane storytelling, hearts out of Bible salesmen yelling. Hate when drivetrain chassis full, five diesel engines ready to pull. funny like I set out sometimes to like to like do something that's in a particular genre I was like oh I think I'm gonna write Dwayne is like kind of like this southern rock tune uh and uh I think like you know just like kind of keep it keep it straight but like I, I always veer weird so at some at some point in the songwriting it makes it a little different and so when I tell well, people that they're like yeah but you, you you didn't you didn't really do that did you well I interpreted that song um as as the musical representation in, I guess, the verses with the with the more edgy, dark electric guitar stuff mm-hmm. personifying Dwayne, and then the lighter um, choruses where you where where the lyric is talking to Dwayne as yeah. personifying you know your dad or or you or your family. Um, I remember we talked about something like that in a Jesse Terry song in our interview with him about kind of you know shifting voice and having the music follow that shift. Yeah, uh, which I thought was really effective in this song. Yeah, no, I love those kind of, and your observation is is, is correct. Um, I, I love those kind of scene changes or or changing voices, uh, where there's 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 clearly uh, a different uh, a different setting and a different different vibe for each character that you introduce. And I, I love using uh, music to to kind of uh, uh, you know place place the proper costuming on each each character in the song. And so uh, to round out our discussion of the love songs, your album starts with the two songs for your daughters, I think probably uh, not coincidentally featuring their uh, or, or representing their um, importance. <laughs> and, yeah, they're, uh, all, they're all right. <laughs> so Scarlet, track one, Scarlet Jane, <laughs> your uh, older daughter. And uh, when you lived in Nashville, uh, our daughters are the same age and we're best friends. Yes. Uh, and then... 
you're younger, uh, who I guess was born in Nashville. She was born the end in of Nashville. that time, right? Yeah, yeah she was so born at uh, born at Vanderbilt. Um, and then Fee Josephine, right? Josephine, yeah. So I, I really, you know, I've 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 been wanting to do this for uh, for a while um, to write a song honoring them, but you know. Uh, you know, it's easy. I mean, I feel very strongly about my daughters and I feel like I completely won the lottery with, with <laughs> children. Um, but it's, you know, I didn't want to, you know, make it a, a purely sentimental uh, endeavor. I wanted to, to, you know, share something that uh, is unique about each, each of them and can give a, a sense of their, uh, uh, their personality and uh, what is idiosyncratic about each of them. And I tried to do it uh, musically uh, as well. Um, Scarlett is a... Uh, uh, luckily, she looks like me. Otherwise, I'd really question paternity because she's so different from in her, <laughs> in, her, in, her, in, her, in her confidence, um, uh, how outgoing she is, how performative she is all the time. Hmm. Uh, and she's extremely astute about uh, identifying uh, kind of where I'm at, uh, emotionally, uh, you know, just like a blank stare in the morning. She's like, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, Oh God, like nothing. Why is something got to be, but she's right. There's like something wrong. <laughs> um, and she's like that with her sister too. And she's like this like incredible emotional barometer. Hmm. Um, but, and I, um, and I love the line, which is also, you know, like you, she whispers perfect blend of sarcastic and kind. Yeah. Yeah, I love that about about Scarlett is she never, never misses an opportunity uh, to do something that uh, is, um, you know, lands appropriately at the moment, but it's also a little biting and and, uh, and sarcastic. She got that from my mom. Uh, It's one of of my mother's great joys in life is that Scarlett (laughs) has inherited her sarcasm. Um, but, uh, she has a very unique sense of sense of humor that, uh, uh, only occasionally has, re- has required some talks with the principal, but <laughs> she knows I'm an open Watercolor eyebrows paint a worried look. Once this poker face fit well, but she's already learned my every
you talk about her her creepy eyes, and then that there's nothing creepy about a window to the mischief in her soul, which I thought <laughs> yeah. was a, a cool line capturing. Yeah, her. that's something she used to do. Uh, Fee has this uh, um, uh, way of opening her eyes where you can see the entire white uh, around <laughs> the iris, which is not which is not usually what you see. With usually, you know, you get there's an overlap. On the right. colored part of the eye, but like she can do this thing, and she, <laughs> she, she knew she had it, and so what she'd do is she'd get up early and she'd go to my bed, and I'd uh, sleeping on my side, and the first thing I'd see in the morning waking my waking up was her was her eyes, just like, <laughs> <laughs> and she loved it because she knew it, she knew it she knew it freaked me out, and she'd try to like play it creepy, but then she'd just like start giggling, <laughs> and and so that that was a thing for a while, and and she she dubbed them her her creepy eyes. But she's she's a very, uh, very unique, uh, unique little girl, and the way she looks at the world is very different from a lot of other kids. She's very quiet. She likes to observe, um, and I think she, like I did when I was a kid, you know. So then she has <clears throat> difficulty interpreting uh, all of the uh, all of the usual social cues, and then figuring out when people are. Uh, you know, figuring out when people are being serious, figuring out what all these little quirks mean. Why are people just saying the thing they they mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, and it makes her just exceptionally uh, honest in her uh, in her expression and in her perception of things. And I think I think she's just a really unique little person. <laughs> Appearing at the bedside open wide The gleaming of the whites The pupils you could fall inside But she can't contain herself A toothy little smile starts to unfold But there is nothing creepy About a window to the mischief in her soul She always gives it to me straight She pauses to reflect on what she said I can hear the gears churning on Inside that pretty head What will they take? their songs and the fact that they're out in the world they do like their songs very much um scarlet's only complaint she's like why she's like i think the next album should be just 10 songs that are all about me (laughs) (laughs) and then followed by another album about fee yeah it's it's very specific yeah (laughs) i can't commit at this moment to profiling the scarlet album in its entirety but we'll you know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it 
All right, all right. Save, save me a save me a slot at some point. Um, that's in the works. So as you travel through this album, there's um, there's you know there's there's your fair share of, of heaviness and seriousness, big dramatic lyrics that are biblical or, or metaphors that use language of war. But you close the album, and uh, and I was going to close our conversation here with something that sounds more hopeful to me. Um, intertwined mm. is full of this gorgeous guitar work uh, that supports this beautiful lyric. Yeah, that song um, is the antithesis of what I was prepared to do. Uh, you know, at the beginning of this high, of this conversation, back you know in high school, or even me as a budding songwriter. You know, uh, when I first started in Armenia, uh, unlike a lot of the other tunes on the album that have a uh, a nice you know layering of uh, of instrumentation and i have something to uh um you know to, to hide behind this is an extremely naked song uh it's all the guitar is very exposed the voice is exposed and then uh i'm exposed uh as well like while you're recording it yeah, which I which which the engineer thought was a weird idea, <laughs> uh, but I was like, just hear me out. I think like, no, the is, nakedness is necessary <laughs> to capture the. It's gonna... <laughs> Sorry, in typical fashion, I was I, I, I undermined your your very serious presentation. <laughs> you know, um, we had uh, discussed uh, with uh, with Aaron uh, on the last episode uh, how you get a, a kind of um, unique. Uh, kind of ebb and flow to the rhythm when you abandon the click track. And this is the one tune on uh, Diesel and Rhyme where we didn't use a click. Hmm. I just sat in the room with the, uh, with the guitar and, and played it open. Uh, and so it, uh, there's a lot of, <clears throat> of kind of uh, expanding and compressing of the rhythm, a lot of... Uh, uh, um, retards in certain places. And I think that, uh, that really helps the song, uh, breathe in a way that, that makes it work. And it's also the only song on the album where everything is, is just me, all the, hmm. uh, the, the voice, the guitars, uh, nobody else, um, did anything on this song. So it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's naked in that, in that way as well. It's just kind of like, you know, everything that, uh, that I'm doing is just is just bare for the listener, and everything's recorded really close up too. Like the the guitar, you can kind of hear, hear all the, the uh, yeah. You hear the fingers. You hear you can hear me breathing in the background. Um, well, I remember then, it's uh, got such interesting colors and, and a bit of a departure in a way. I think that you sent me a a demo that you'd done at home on this. Mm-hmm. I believe like the day you wrote it, you were like, "Here's you know, here's what I came up with today or something." And um, yeah, and I remember being struck at the time just at, at you know, it's beauty and, and, and also just kind of how, how different it was. And I thought it was just so effective in it to close this album. Yeah. Um, when I was, you know, had all the songs together and I was thinking about the order, uh, I had, you know, many question marks about which would, what would go where, but I never, I never doubted the choice to put that at the end of the album. Um, it's like, I needed to like get everyone's confidence first <laughs> before, before unleashing <laughs> that one on people. But I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's very personal and, uh, it's, uh, it's really, you know, the, the closest you get to, uh, 
you know, just, just me in a room with a guitar and my voice. process um and and having you know having a chance to kind of dig into it here uh as well as just listening to it so congratulations thank you for making it it's available to listen to everywhere music is streamed and and you're planning some vinyl on this right that's right that's right it's a uh, it's a process now but i've i've always wanted to have uh have my music on vinyl record for for those who are into that. And I loved having, you know, loving the artwork, uh, which I love on this album that's done by, uh, by Mary Beth Freed. Um, and I, I love the ideas she came up with. I never would have put my own face on the album, but it, you know, she, she, she loved the idea and I, I love the way that was the only out. part I didn't like of the cover. I figured that was going to be <laughs> your comment on <laughs> no, this the, co- one. the cover is very cool. And, and, you know, obviously this being audio, we can't show it, but, um, People should check it out because there's, um, I didn't actually go down a checklist, but there's many, if not all of the songs are represented in this drawing. Yes, there is. Yeah. A lot of imagery from, uh, from the songs, uh, we might've gotten them all. I don't know. Uh, but regardless the, uh, yeah, the pulling tractors in there, uh, Dwayne's pulling tractor, uh, and, uh, 
you know, the apricot from the Artsakh songs in there. And actually those two drawings are by Scarlett. She, she drew the apricot and she drew the, uh, the pulling tractor. Oh, and then uh, Mary Beth uh, montaged it uh, into that, uh, that beautiful. But I, I, you know, I've always loved the idea of, of, of LPs where you get to really get to see the artwork and you have like, you know, photos in the back. So I'm looking forward to that, that process, even though it's a, it's a niche thing that uh, takes forever. Uh, you know, as, as somebody who grew up with their first listening experiences on a turntable, um, that this, this feels like the right way to, uh, to, to realize, you know, an album that I, that I'm very proud of. Thank you for listening. Craft Brewed Music, both the podcast and the music discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brewed Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.